This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. One, two, three, break. Down the middle of the field, it is caught. Loose football. Who's got it? Down at the one-yard line. How about that? That is the ultimate kibosh. (laughs) (laughs) And we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. It is the Friday show of Pro Bowl Week. On Wednesday, we recapped the two great conference championship games. We looked ahead to the Super Bowl and previewed all the different in-game matchups. And we discussed the uh, 2019 offseason team needs and the upcoming NFL draft. But today, we are breaking down the grandest of exhibition games, the 2018-19 NFL Pro Bowl. We will be looking at the game from primarily a daily fantasy perspective, but we also might talk a little bit about betting on the game. And joining me once again is Ian Harditz, the director of the Fantasy Labs NFL platform and an Action Network analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. You can also use the app to get real-time NFL odds and track your bets for free. Ian, how's it going? Going good, man. Uh, you said it. Got to talk about this exhibition. You uh, you coined a phrase in your article on it last year. It's an exhibition of a sport resembling football, which I think is a pretty uh, pretty good way to describe the Pro Bowl. Yeah, man. It's, it is an interesting affair. Ian, good news. Once again, we have sponsors for the show. The mm. live reads from last episode were such a rousing success that Audible and Mac, <laughs> Mac Weldon couldn't help but sponsor us again, for which we are very grateful. Uh, so everyone, look forward to hearing me talk about those wonderful companies in just a little bit. But first, let's talk about football, if indeed that is what you can call the Pro Bowl. While you're listening to the podcast, please rate and review the Action Network NFL podcast on iTunes. Subscribe, unsubscribe, and resubscribe. And for all of our content, go to the Action Network and Fantasy Labs. Ian, let's get into it. The Pro Bowl, DraftKings and FanDuel didn't even release salaries for this event until Wednesday night. And that is because the rosters for the Pro Bowl aren't really finally set until just like a few days before the event. So who is even playing in this game? Let's just kind of start there. Yeah, we actually, there's multiple guys on the kind of FanDuel pricing that have since, you know, are not no longer in the game, but it seems like DraftKings at least has a good uh, sense of who's in it right now. On the AFC side of things, we're looking at Mahomes. So I guess, first of all, with the rosters in the Pro Bowl, wide receiver and tight end are the two positions where you can expect the rotations to somewhat resemble what we see in a real football game. Because yes. there's, there's only four to five wide receivers on each team. There's only two tight ends on each team. And all those guys pretty much have to be on the field, uh, you know, three wide receivers and one tight end every single play. So even if you want to kind of take out, you know, a Tyree Kill type player early, it's, it's putting a lot of pressure on your remaining uh, three to four receivers. So uh, the positions I think we'll see more guys go in and out are quarterback and running back. Specifically, it looks like Patrick Mahomes is going to start for the AFC. Russell Wilson is going to start for the NFC. 
And then, you know, we've got our fullbacks, too, in the running back group. But I think uh, the two guys in the running back group that I think are most exciting are Tariq Cohen and Alvin Kamara, just because they have had so much experience as a receiver this year. But other than that, man, it's just kind of, I feel like, your, your basic set of Pro Bowl stars and then, you know, your random fifth or sixth best player at the position that's now in there because three other guys have dropped out. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about the rules, kind of the history of the game a little bit, some of the randomness that's associated with this game. So to give a sense of how random this event is, last year Antonio Brown got six targets and he had only one reception. Oh, wait, that seems kind of normal. No, but, uh, no and, and so like in 2017, a fullback led all of the backs in fantasy scoring with 51 yards and he had just three carries and five receptions. In 2016, the Jerry Rice quarterbacks, and remember, this was back when Jerry Rice and, and Michael Irving and other players were like just like fantasy style picking these rosters. The Rice quarterbacks combined to throw six interceptions. Uh, in 2015, John Kuhn led the Carter team with 31 yards rushing. In 2014, Alfred Morris led the Sanders squad with four receptions. Alfred Morris never catches the ball, and he had four receptions in that game. In 2013, Leon Washington, who was on the team as the return specialist, he led the game with five carries. And then in 2012, Drew Brees attempted an extra point. Like, this is such a random event. It's hard to, to think of this as an actual game, and so you probably shouldn't even think of it the way that you, you do most football games through the DFS perspective. It's, it's much more random. But uh, to talk about the rules, and Ian, you mentioned this earlier, specifically one of the biggest edges that people can have in this is knowing, knowing the rules and knowing specifically that tight ends have to be on the field. There has to be at least one tight end on the field when your offense has the ball. So that means they can't go four wide. They always have to have a tight end on the field, maybe sometimes even two tight ends on the field at a time. So there is a really big edge to rostering tight ends in this event. Ian, there are some other more minute rules. Why don't you uh, kind of run through some of those? Yeah, there's some interesting changes with the timeouts. You know, each team has two timeouts per quarter and the unused timeouts in the first and third carry over to the second and fourth. Different other things in two-minute warning. Each quarter has one. Clock stops the offense. does not gain at least one yard on a play. Incomplete passes. Uh, you know, they actually don't stop the clock unless we're in the final two minutes of play. Basically, a bunch of things just to try to kind of uh, speed up the pace of play a little bit and yeah. hope, hopefully makes for some higher scoring. But the interesting one that goes hand-in-hand -hand with what you're saying about tight ends is the restrictions that are put on the defenses. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much still stuck like five years ago. Like, they have not updated these rules, and they force defenses to stay in a 4-3 at all times, and they can't go in nickel or dime coverage. And I guarantee, you know, when they made these rules, 4-3 was still the main defense that right. defenses were playing in 50% of snaps. But now, like, that nickel cornerback is more of a starter than the third linebacker is on almost any team in the league. So – defenses cannot again cannot use nickel or dime sub packages no more than four defensive backs can be on the field at a time so you, I mean, you already know your best coverage safety is going to have to go and deal with the number three receiver and that means your tight end is going to be dealing with slower linebackers for most of the game so just a really big advantage in the passing game in general which you know makes sense I mean I know these guys aren't trying to bang heads too hard at the line of scrimmage and uh, run the ball all game so but yeah man it's it's that Sticking in a 4-3 defense and needing the tight end to be on the field at all times, I think, are the two biggest keys. And the last thing, which really just shows how absurd this whole game is, is the goalposts actually squeeze down to 14 feet for uh, extra points. And so it makes uh, life for kickers pretty freaking hard in this game. And if you 
sorry if you're a big time kicker DFS fan, but might be the time of the year to uh, not play them. No, certainly. And so not only with the defensive backs, do they have to have four on the field, no more than four, but they have to play in particular coverages. They are now allowed to play in cover two or press. Um, but before the 2014 game, they were allowed to use only man coverage. But, you know, as you mentioned with, with tight ends, it really is interesting because it means that they are going to get to face either a linebacker. And think of these linebackers. Like, I think most linebackers get to the Pro Bowl because they make a lot of tackles, not because they are very good in pass coverage. You know what I mean? So, like, there can be guys who are all around good at both, but these are guys who are more of, like, the middle linebacker, like, off-ball type of run defender, not necessarily coverage guys. So your tight ends get to face either that or they face the other safety, which means there's no safety help for any of the receivers so it's, it's totally like this perfect, all you have to do basically is beat your man. And if you do that, you have a really decent chance of outrunning everyone to score a touchdown. So yeah, tight end is a very advantageous position for this game. Let's talk a little bit about some of the in-game trends that uh, we have found specifically have to do with scoring. Yeah, so two big things I found just from overall game perspective is the scoring has been down in recent years. I mean, we saw at least 50 points scored in 12 of 13 games from 2000 to 2012. But in recent history, I mean, they've combined for fewer than 50 points in three of the last five matchups. So, you know, we've actually seen these, you know, 21 to 24 ball games and finishes like that, which – it does make sense because even though there are those defensive restrictions, I mean, these offenses only have a week to practice together. And, you know, especially in this game, we got Anthony Lennon and Jason Garrett as the coaches. I don't know if we should expect, you know, the most amazing schemes yes. we'd ever seen to really yeah. take advantage of this. So uh, just something to keep in mind, especially, you know, with those defenses and DFS just being contrarian and, uh, you know, potentially taking a stab at that under as well. And then the other big thing, which we've kind of hinted at already, but the Pro Bowl is a passing game. Like, 10 times more so than the NFL is a passing game at this point. 99 players over these last five years have been targeted in the Pro Bowl, and they average 4.3 targets per game. And our 55-player sample of rushers only averaged 3.4 rush attempts per game. So, you know, usually any given week, it's almost uh, you know certainty that your running backs are going to get more touches than your receivers and tight ends. But that's really not the case in the Pro Bowl, and that hasn't been the case for the last five years. Yeah, and – the trends that you just mentioned there, uh, kind of in terms of usage for uh, the passing game versus the running game, it makes sense from a variety of perspectives. I mean, offensive lines, like it's easier for them, I think, to pass block if you just have random guys next to each other as opposed to run blocking, because like that has to be pretty coordinated. It, just in terms of the offensive line in relation like to each other and then the running back behind the offensive line. I think in general, coaches just try to avoid that. They don't want to have to sort of deal with getting all the offensive linemen on the same page. And then when we've seen runners in the Pro Bowl, they really haven't historically been even that efficient. So the volume is down for them and the efficiency is down. And to put some numbers to this, for the last seven years, so since 2011, if you look at the, the total number of DraftKings points available for each team, the average has been 24.8 DraftKings points for the total backfield per team, which is a pretty small amount, especially when you're considering that you're breaking that pretty evenly between three different guys. And here's the big thing. About half of that production, actually, let me rephrase that, 
more than half of the production. 63% of that production has come through the passing game, which is just a huge amount. So I think when you are targeting running backs in this game, you probably want to go with the guys who are the pass catchers, which I think filters back into the the two guys you highlighted earlier, Kamara and Cohen. And then kind of from a, a more macro perspective, you are splitting all of that work between three guys. Only one of them is going to be on the field at a time. Whereas at wide receiver, you're splitting all of the production that the wide receivers get between four guys and at least two of them are going to be on the field at any given time. And most of the time you're going to have three out there. So just kind of like from a percentage perspective, it makes much more sense to invest uh, in the passing game. Okay. Ian, everything you just said was fascinating. What I just said was fascinating, but not nearly as fascinating as what I'm going to say for the next minute or so, because I'm going to talk about Audible, or as I like to call it, the ultimate pleasure for your ears. There's never been a better time to start listening than right now on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet, and now with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. Ian, what was your favorite book as a child? Ooh, put me on the spot. I'm going with with Holes. Okay. I don't really care. I just asked you that question so that I could say that my favorite book as a child was The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. If you're anything like me, you're probably interested in recapturing your youth. I mean, you're listening to a podcast in which two guys are breaking down the Pro Bowl, but uh, right now, you can get The Adventures of Tom Sawyer on Audible, narrated by the redoubtable Nick Offerman, which uh, I think is pretty awesome that he is narrating that. As I said, the ultimate pleasure for your ears. Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook and two Audible originals, which you can't hear anywhere else. Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, on your commute, or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you can keep forever, even if you cancel. Audible, the most inspiring minds, the most compelling stories, the best place to listen. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash action or text action to 500-500 and listen for change. That is audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash action or text action, A-C-T-I-O-N to 500 500- 500. Ian, I normally ask you to rate my live reads, but I'm not going to for that one. I know it was a solid 10. Uh, Okay. (laughs) No, no. Uh, Okay. All right. Let's talk about uh, some of these, these players in a little more detail. Let's start with the quarterbacks. Any trends that you have noticed with these guys? Yeah, so it seems like with these quarterbacks, you know, each team's usually working with three. That's what we have this year. And the yeah. starter, the starter is the one that kind of gets the shortest end of the stick because they go in, sometimes they'll play two, three series and they're gone, but kind of their best case is only one quarter. So, and then, you know, once your quarterback's out of the game, you're, you're not going back in. So I think you're better off uh, looking at these number two and number three quarterbacks and uh, that's shown up. But these guys do, I mean, in terms of, trying to find opportunities in the Pro Bowl, the quarterback's position as a whole, you know, behind the receiver. I think overall, though, if you just look at pass attempts, I mean, they have the most opportunities in these games. And accordingly, 21 of 30 quarterbacks since 2014 have thrown for at least one touchdown in the Pro Bowl. 
I mean, that's, that's something in a game where almost nothing is given. And, you know, we do need to kind of rely on this passing production because much like in the running backs, we're not getting anything on the ground from a, from a quarterback position as well. Even dual threats. I and mean, we've had Tyrod Taylor here. He has the uh, five-year record for most rushing yards in the game. That's only 15. Cam Newton's the only quarterback with a rushing touchdown over this time. Matt, there's been three total rushing touchdowns in the last five Pro Bowls. Like, it's insane. Even when they're getting right. down, even when they're right. getting down to the three-yard line, you think the offensive line wants to try to go shove all the defense line ends up? No, they're throwing a fade to freaking, you know, Juju yeah. Smith shoots or all these ballers on the outside. So, only Matthew Stafford in uh, 2015 even cleared 200 passing yards. So, I mean, again, they're rotating a lot. The ceilings, the individual ceilings for the quarterbacks uh, aren't super high. But the passing floor is what you want to go to go for here. Yeah. As you mentioned, the dual threat quarterbacks really haven't done much. And in part, I think it makes sense. Like you don't have these, these guys wanting to get hit by, uh, you know, like pro bowl, pro bowlers who are just looking for a reason to smash them. You know what I mean? I feel like the uh, defenders don't want to hit either. I mean, it's a mutual yeah. understanding and you're going to see a lot of pass plays where the linemen basically just play patty cake at the line of scrimmage because yeah. what are they even doing here? Yeah. So I think there could be a real edge knowing that the, the dual threat quarterbacks, like where a lot of their value comes from in fantasy is the ability to produce with their legs. Those guys just historically have not produced in the Pro Bowl. No rushing attempts, very little rushing yardage, no rushing touchdowns. So someone like Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Trubisky, Dak Prescott, I think people might overvalue their dual threat ability. So I think there would be, uh, you know, potential upside in going with one of the other guys. But as you mentioned, the starters in the Pro Bowl historically have been the guys who've been the least productive. The number two and the number three quarterbacks, they normally come in and they play more series. And also like at the end of the game is when you start to see more of the action pick up. So I, I do think that you want to target the second and the third quarterbacks if possible. Ian, running backs, what do you see here? Yeah, we've already been talking about this is the position to kind of avoid in general for DFS. I mean, only Mark Ingram, and he got to 72 yards, has cleared 50 yards rushing among everybody, you know, quarterbacks, running backs, anyone's got a rush attempt. No, only Mark's gotten past the 50 yard mark uh, over these past five years. And he's also the only guy that's gotten double digit rushing attempts. Yeah. All these running backs, they're getting three, four carries at the most. And I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked to see Kyle Juszczyk, you know, lead the NFC in rush attempts and rushing yards. It's just Zeke Elliott, Saquon Barkley, they're not going to be asked to pound the line of scrimmage, but they have been asked to contribute as receivers. And, you know, you had the nice point earlier about 62% of their production has come through the passing game. And yeah, running backs last five years have 821 receiving yards, four receiving touchdowns. That's compared to 720 yards on the ground and only two touchdowns. I mean, you add in the whole point per reception, you're not getting a point per carry, and it's just a no-brainer to kind of go after these receiving guys. And the reason earlier I said Cohen and um, Kamara is, look, Kamara spent 25.8% of his snaps in the slot or as a wide receiver. Cohen's are all the way at 34%. The only other guy that's even above 15% is use check the fullback, and he was at yeah. 16. So these guys did legit spend like a quarter of their time playing as a wide receiver during the season. So, you know, when we don't have that many receivers to begin with on the roster, wouldn't be shocked to see those running backs get a lot more snaps. Yeah. One thing that is interesting about the fullbacks, even though we don't see many rushing touchdowns at all in this game, a significant chunk of the rushing touchdowns we have seen have gone to the fullbacks, which like, I think it's almost sort of like the coach's way of like, okay, these guys, they get no praise during the season. 
they're here. Let's throw them a bone and, <clears throat> and see if they can get, you know, like a Pro Bowl touchdown, which is like, that's great. But like that sucks for all of the other like legit running backs. Since 2011, we have had five rushing touchdowns go to running backs. Vontae Leach got one of those. <laughs> one of the others went to another running back. I'm looking for it here, but can't find it easily in the list. Oh, Jerome Felton. Right. So like, it's just, a, it's a situation where the, the fullbacks, they take like proportionally way more of the rushing production than they do during the season. But it's not as if you can really play those guys either because like they're fullbacks, they're not really getting much production. The one guy might be use check because he does actually produce as a receiver. But yeah, for running backs, I think there's a lot worse that you could do than basically do almost like a full fade of the position. Because it's, I think it's hard to predict which one of these guys really has the potential to go off as a receiver or as a runner or to maybe get that rushing touchdown. These guys also don't really get many receiving touchdowns either. Just five as a, a total cohort in the last seven years. I think people will probably want to play running backs, but I think it's probably best just to avoid the position. What do you think about the wide receivers? Yeah, one last thing on the running backs as well. It's not just fullbacks you're going to see stealing carries. I mean, Richard Sherman had like a carry go for minus 25. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Travis Frederick got a carry. The Cowboys uh, center, like he yeah. got a carry a couple yeah. years ago. So there's going to be like three or four annoying plays where you're just going to ask yourself, why on earth do I play a running back? So just don't. But yeah, all right, back to wide receivers. This is the thing. I mean, we're talking like, yeah, okay, Kamara and a couple of these running backs have some receiving upside, but at that point, why not just play the wide receivers and tight ends that we know have the higher target floor? I mean, over the years, yes, running backs have produced a little more in the passing game, but still nothing close to uh, the tight ends and wide receivers. Overall, you know, we're seeing your average Pro Bowl tight end and wide receiver averaging five and 4.8 targets respectively running backs all the way down to 3.3. So just again, it's, it's weird, but it's a higher floor in this game for tight ends and wide receivers yeah. than running backs. So I think between wide receivers and tight ends, I prefer to just take a tight end straight up in this, especially with the guys we're working with this year. I mean, some of these uh, years, you know, if you're Travis Kelsey and Gronks aren't in the game, you just got some more blocking types of tight end, but we got Eric Ebron, Jared Cook, George Kittle, and Austin Hooper. All those yeah. guys have spent at least 25 or more percent of their snaps in the slot or out wide. I mean, you could call Kittle and Cook. They were their team's number one receiver this year, and they just happened to be called tight ends. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the coverages, you know, how tight ends need to be on the field. And just in, in general, yeah, man, just give me all the wide receivers and tight ends you can get. Yeah, specifically, if you look at the past, oh, we're, we're talking about wide receivers right now, but I guess should we, we kind of transition to tight ends? I just kind of group them in the same yeah. at this point. So, yeah. So if we look at the past, we see that wide receivers, all of the wide receivers on one team have averaged 46.1 DraftKings points per game over the last seven years. So there is like a significant number of points that can be divided between like each wide receiver unit. And for the tight ends, it has been for the last seven years, 22.2 points per game uh, to be divided between two guys. So I think like it just... It kind of depends, right? It often has been the case where you have one tight end who is just like really dominated production over the other guy in that unit. And so like for me, I think it's pretty clearly if I have to take two of the guys and hope that the other two guys aren't the ones who go off, like I want Kittle and I want Ebron. Like I think that those are the guys that you kind of lock in 
I don't have a lot of just general interest in Hooper to begin with. And Cook is just kind of like so inconsistent anyway that I, I don't know. Like I, I can't imagine him outscoring Ebron, but I mean, it is possible. Like how are you kind of breaking down the, the tight ends? I'm a little bit on the other. I, I know what you're saying like from just a general perspective, but I'm worried about Ebron's health because look, yeah, the, Colts, the Colts weren't even playing him 50% of the snaps like in the playoffs. When he was out there, you know, he was Andy was, you know, we got, we got Andrew Luck out there, so I'm sure Andy will find a way to get Ebron a end zone target like he does every other game they play in together. But yeah, other, other than I mean, Ebron does. I could see a scenario where you know all these tight, you know, maybe Kittle and Hooper go 50%, but I could see more of like a 70-30 split in favor of Cook if Ebron's not 100%. And I agree. I mean, just Putting Kittle next to Hooper, obviously you'll take Kittle 10 times out of 10. But, I mean, we got to think about the prices here. Yeah. Kittle's 5,600 in the flex spot in DraftKings, and Hooper's all the way down at 1,800. I mean, Hooper isn't quite on these guys' levels as a receiver, but, I mean, he's, he's shown the big playability. You know, in, a, in my Pro Bowl article, I, I gift that touchdown he had against the Bears last year where he you know, stiff-armed their safety basically straight to hell. I mean, he, he's, got <laughs> lot, he's got a lot of athleticism. Yeah. The guy can make a big play for you. So, I'm just saying, like, he's – for Hooper to be like by far the number four tight end, he's still like got more ability, I think, than you'd expect out of that position. Yeah. So big picture, you want to prioritize wide receiver and tight end. Let's look at the defenses. Anything here? Yeah, I mentioned earlier that you know we have seen less scoring uh, in recent history, fewer than fifty points in three of the last five matchups. I mean, it's it's tough because you, you want to uh, put the defense down because of the you know, they can't blitz, which, you know, obviously doesn't help you generate sacks. And uh, you're not expecting them to be able to make too many uh, tackles for a loss. But we have seen QBs throw 29 touchdowns versus 22 interceptions over these past five years. So there has been pl- plenty of turnovers. And I think it's a contrarian way to get a potential special teams touchdown, get a random late defensive touchdown in DFS. I mean, I, I don't have uh, too much info on it other than I don't think anyone really wants to play defenses in DFS. So it's a good way to at least have a higher ceiling, I think, than rostering a kicker or something. Yeah. As you were mentioning, I think it will be very contrarian. You do have these quarterbacks throwing to wide receivers they're not accustomed to. So their their timing could be off. It's interesting. I mean, I think like cornerbacks, like they might tend to be maybe a little more aggressive. Like I think there is the possibility for more interceptions in this game. I think also from like the the trench perspective, I don't know, like these are really good pass rushers and like the like the cumulative benefit of having like four really good pass rushers going against five offensive linemen who don't play with each other. Like I think there is also like the potential for sacks too, you know, so I think it is contrarian to go with the defense, but there there is a lot of upside there. I know it's way harder for, I mean, because an offensive line, you know, they're meshing and gelling together. So it's way harder for them to get on the same page in a week. Defensive linemen, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're just pinning their ears back and they're trying to be in front of them. It's the same thing they've always done. So, yeah. And for them, like, even from the beginning, it's a total rush. I mean, yeah, I mean, they're just pass rushing. Like, they're not playing the run at all. Yeah, exactly. So, so it's like kind of like, like fourth quarter dynamics almost the entire game for them. They they literally put in, again, the two minute quarter in the first and third quarter. So, you're going to get those uh, hurry up situations every quarter. Yeah. Okay. Kickers. I mean, <laughs> don't, don't roster them. I think, you know, I think oh, we're good on kickers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so there are multiple reasons like the goalpost being changed for instance, but uh, in the pro bowl, they have averaged uh, a 76 
50% conversion rate, which is like far less than they do in the regular season. You know, they don't have their normal holders. There's just a lot of, lot of reasons why they could be kicking less successfully. And then just, they also don't get as many attempts either because like no one goes to the Pro Bowl to see, I don't know, Chris Boswell kick a 40-yard field goal. Like no, no one cares. And also coaches, I think, because it's the Pro Bowl, like they can be more aggressive in their play calling going forward on fourth down because like there are no repercussions. So yeah, I think it's a, it's a good situation there for them. Enough about kickers. It's time for me to talk about Mac Weldon. The clothes I wore when we recorded Wednesday's podcast, I'm still wearing them because they are that comfortable, because they're Mack Weldon. In fact, they're so comfortable that I'm planning to buy another identical shipment of Mack Weldon clothes so that whenever I take these off to wash them, I can just put on the same ensemble of sartorial awesomeness. Let me tell you about Mack Weldon. Their mission is simple, to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And frankly, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you are wearing right now. And I know, Ian, because I see the clothes that you're wearing. And my friend, you need to get some Mac in your life. <laughs> I'm not a fan of shopping, shopping for clothes, shopping online, or shopping for clothes online. But Mac Weldon has a really easy-to-use, streamlined, intuitive website to go along with the smart design and premium fabric of their clothes. Mac Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. I mean... I'm saying that because that's what was written for me to say, but I actually think it's true. These clothes that I'm wearing have conformed to my body deliciously. Let's talk more. Mack Weldon has silver underwear that is naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor. I probably don't need to go into the science of why that's a good thing, but it obviously is. This underwear is so comfortable that if you don't like it, you can keep it and Mack Weldon will give you a refund. Now you might be asking yourself a question. If the underwear isn't comfortable, why would I want to keep it? Well, let me answer that question with another question. Do you think Mack Weldon would make that promise in the first place if they didn't know it was basically impossible for a human to find their underwear uncomfortable? These clothes are good for working out, going out, just everyday life. My personal favorite is the hoodie. It's my power suit, but really I love everything I've gotten from Mack Weldon. What I'm saying is that you need to get yourself some Mack Weldon. For 20% off your first order, visit MacYeldon.com and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. Ian, man, uh, scale of 1 to 10, let's not even – that was both fantastic and uh, horrible. It took me about five times to get that live read. It was uh, electric, man. I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about some strategy in the captain spot. What are you looking to do? I think we got to go wide receiver tight end here. It's just easier for them to outscore quarterbacks when our quarterbacks are only looking at 15 to 20 pass attempts. And, you know, obviously we talked about running backs and them just not having the same level of opportunity, but there's a lot of value to be had in these wide receivers because all these guys are awesome and they're, they're priced so differently that, you know, Tyreek and Juju are your top guys, but they would never be, I think, priced this uh, high above like Amari Cooper and Mike Evans in a normal week. So just look, looking to the secondary guys, maybe a Jarvis Landry, uh, you know, Amari Cooper, Mike Evans, over your Adam Thielen, over your Tyree Kill uh, in the captain spot especially. You can still put those guys in later potentially, but just gives you a little chance to di- differentiate your lineup a little bit while keeping that upside. All right. Any theory for stacking? I mean, I don't know if 
you know, if it's a, a decent situation to think about stacking teammates, I mean, historically, there really hasn't been much of a correlation between how a quarterback does and his, uh, like, the receivers on his own, like, personal team have done. But, I don't know, just any, any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's, it's tough. So it looks like Andre Roberts is actually going to be the AFC's return man. I'm not sure if that means Tyreek Hill won't return at all, but it's, it won't be 100%. So just keep that in mind for your DST stacks. But, yeah, man, I don't, I don't have a clear strategy on this. You got to kind of look at, I think, when they're going to play at least. So it does make sense with these teammates a little bit. I mean, you'd expect you know, Trubisky, Tariq Cohen, both of them to kind of be playing in the reserve group. Same thing with Dak and Amari Cooper. The Patty Mahomes Tyreek Hill pairing does scare me a little bit because you know those are going to be your starters, and I don't know. Out of all these receivers, it just seems like Tyreek would be the guy to you know kind of get sat on the bench a little bit early. And we have seen him in two Pro Bowls, and he's only gotten twenty-seven scoreless yards. You know, famous last words by me probably is he gets triple that in the first play of the game. Yeah. But yeah, and then the, <laughs> the only other teammate stack is uh, Andrew Luck, Eric Ebron. We talked a little bit earlier, or I talked about some concerns I have with Ebron. So I think uh, if you do want to go teammate stacks, Trubisky, Cohen, Dak, Cooper, but I, I don't think you need to worry about it too much. The thing that's that's interesting, so I guess there are a few things that are interesting about it. So Tyreek in the past was a, I think he got into the Pro Bowl as like a, a returner. And so this is like his first year as like a wide receiver, or maybe it was even kind of like, uh, like the flex in which he kind of got in, but he might get more usage. And it is that situation where like he does have, he does have his quarterback and he is the perfect wide receiver for Mahomes. I think there's just a the larger question of, are they going to be stacked together in so many lineups that it makes sense to kind of go against that stack? And I think that would maybe be the case. Like, I think it would be easy for people who are playing to look at Prescott and be like, oh, I'm going to stack him with Cooper. I'm going to stack Hill with Mahomes. I'm going to stack Cohen with Trubisky. So, like, uh, I, I don't know. There might be the possibility of going against those stacks. Could also be plus EV. One thing to keep in mind, there are no kickoffs in the Pro Bowl. So we don't get, like, the benefit of Tyreek Hill running back kickoffs. So the only benefit that he has as a returner would theoretically be for punts. But the thing is, there are so few punts in the Pro Bowl that it, it almost doesn't even make sense to, to think about the benefit that someone offers as a return man. Last year, there was literally one punt in the Pro Bowl. Now, granted, the year before that, that was eight, but that was like one of the highest it, it, that we've seen. Like over the last seven years, we've seen an average of 5.1, but like we've seen anywhere from like three to four as something that is kind of normal. So we're probably not going to see a lot of usage for someone like Andre Roberts, but like, I think it's probable that they will probably throw him like a bone, whether that's like an end around or, you know, like uh one target or something, but uh yeah, probably not a lot to expect from him. Ian for cash games, any general kind of strategies that you have? I think the opportunity is just, so kind of disproportionated uh, between running backs and these receivers, you're going to want to focus on the passing game in both both formats. I mean, yeah. I know you, 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 there's just there isn't that workhorse running back in this game. It does not exist. So we just got to look at the wide receivers and tight ends that are, that are going to be getting the most targets. Uh, definitely think you know you want to be tight end heavy, uh, given you know again 
we're looking at like pretty much a minimum 50% snap rate for them, no matter what. And I think maybe the NFC is the safer bet for targets just because they don't have the extra uh, returner and Andre Roberts just take up snaps, even though I, I do agree. I don't think it will be much, but they don't have that. And Devontae Adams, I mean, he wasn't able to play in week 17 when he only needed a couple more, I think, yards to break some pretty cool Packers records uh, with his knee injury. He hasn't been ruled out yet. I mean, he's got the questionable tag on DraftKings, though, so it's like – how many snaps is this guy really going to play, even if he does decide to suit up? So those are my thoughts there. And then at the quarterback spot, I'm between – I guess this goes to a you and Raybon's kind of season-long discussion, but I'm, I'm stuck between Deshaun Watson and Andrew Luck here because I think, uh, you know, getting past the starters, I just don't think they're going to play as much. I kind of have my hesitations about Dak and uh, Trubisky just with how reliant they kind of usually are on rushing. So how do you feel between Watson and Luck? Because – I am leaning Watson a little bit uh, right now because this is going to be the best offensive line he's had in his entire <laughs> NFL career. And he does, he does run a lot, but he also uh, throws downfield so much. That I think that does help in this format, maybe over uh, Luck, who's more of a check down type. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I would maybe go with Watson in, in a venue like this where I think maybe uh, like athleticism matters a little bit more, kind of like the willingness just to air the ball out a little bit more and let your receivers make the play. I think maybe I would, I would go with Watson. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think historically, as long as you're going with either one of those two, if you're kind of fading the guy who's starting, um, I think it's probably the, the better scenario. Any final thoughts here with GPPs? Not really. Again, if you're going to take a shot on the running back position, do it with Kamara and Cohen, I think. And yeah, you know, if you're feeling crazy, uh, I know maybe the man's is shout out, but Kyle Juszczyk, you know, 16% in that slaughter out wide. And he did uh, catch yeah. multiple passes and 10 of 16 games a season. So, I mean, I'm sure Jason Garrett won't be scheming up just as well as uh, Kyle Shanahan was, but you know, he, he is a legit athlete and he could end up being relied on in pass protection and playing more snaps than probably any other running back. Yeah, I mean, if there is one slate in which it is ever like a legitimate strategy to go with a fullback, this is the slate. Like this is this is not just use check. This is not just his uh, his Pro Bowl. This is his Super Bowl. So uh, this this can be the time for him. Okay, uh, any thoughts on betting this? Yeah, I would take the under. I'm not touching either of these sides. Um, I haven't seen any props uh, up yet, but you know. I'm sure as all listeners can tell from our conversations, I'd be down to pound any unders on rushing yards and then taking the overs on the tight end position as well. Yeah, totally agree with that. We haven't seen props. They might be released on Friday or Saturday uh, with books maybe looking to get a little more action. I agree with you, although historically uh, the over has really been the side to take. Uh, there's been this push to the under in recent years as uh, the pace of the game has kind of quickened, not in terms of like teams playing, but in terms of like the clock continues to run. So yeah, I think uh, for me, just kind of depending on the line that you see out there, but I, I always would tend to go to the under here. Okay, Ian, you have an article that came out on Fantasy Labs with your breakdown for the Pro Bowl. Everyone should be sure to check that out. Any final thoughts here? That's all, man. Looking forward to Watching the Pro Bowl. This is actually the first Pro Bowl in the last five years, I think, with the amount I've invested into that article on this podcast. I'm, I'm actually kind of excited for it now. So Yeah, I'm always excited for it, but in a kind of ironic way. Yeah, uh, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. For Ian Harditz, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. Bye.